Hi, I'm Elaine McCrimmon, Global Head of Reputation and External Engagement at AB InBev, and you're listening to Talking on Tap. I'm excited to launch our new podcast that takes you inside the world's largest brewer. And as you'll learn, we have a passion for beer and a whole lot more. As I've been zooming around our business, I've been struck with all the amazing stories that I hear. So I'm excited to bring these to you and give you the inside track. The past year has shown that as a business, we are resilient and we're able to pivot to the needs of our communities. Over the next few episodes, we'll explore the recovery and some of our COVID-19 initiatives. In this very first episode, I'll speak to John Blood, our Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer, about the unique contribution beer can make in the economy. And then we'll speak to our global vice president of Stella Artois, Tim Ovedia, who's going to tell us more about the program Rally for Restaurants. But stay tuned, because then we'll be joined by Kirsten Stewart, the global head of the future of media, entertainment and sport at the World Economic Forum. Welcome to our new podcast. Joining me today is John Blood, our Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer, to talk about our COVID-19 response and the path to recovery. John, welcome to the show. Elaine, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's so great that you're able to join us. So here we are, one year into the pandemic, and you know, still countries at so many different stages. But let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about the past year. How have we been affected and what did you learn? You know, Elaine, it's it's what a year, right? It's been quite a journey and it's by no means over. We see different phases. We know that the pandemic is still in full flight in many parts of the world. But when I think back, and I think back to a little over a year ago, I can remember the initial calls from China. You know, one of the advantages that we have as a global company is to be able to learn from our colleagues around the world. And we have our biggest brewery in China is actually in Wuhan. So I can remember dealing with my colleagues in China and Wuhan and specifically talking about what steps they were taking, what they were doing as a community to deal with the pandemic, what we were doing within the four walls of our brewery to figure out how can we deal with this. It was all new at the time. And one of the nice things that really, really, really was a great benefit for us was to be able to take those learnings and to say, look, We think that Europe, right? We're starting to see signs of it in Europe. We're seeing signs of it in other parts of the country and working with our teams in those areas so we could figure out what's the best way for health and safety when it comes to our operations. You know, what can we do for masks? What can we do for sanitation? What can we do for hand sanitizers? All those types of things. We had the learnings from China and our team was so generous there to share while they were dealing with the crisis real time. And that was something that we leaned into to really get that knowledge out across the world. And then in terms of what we were hearing from our colleagues in China, in terms of things that people were going to look forward to, was there any insight that you got from the team? Yeah, there was, you know, Elaine, there was the world changed, right? All of a sudden you had people who were literally in lockdowns. Consumer behaviors changed, consumer choices changed, and we needed to figure out, like we always do, What can we do in our business to meet those consumer needs? And for us, we started to think about what can we do to make sure that we were having our e-commerce deliveries? 
making sure that we were providing what consumers needed when they were locked down. Maybe there were different package sizes. Maybe there were different ordering methods. Whatever it was, we needed to get the insight and be ahead of that. What we also found out was what people were looking forward to as lockdowns started to lift in certain parts of the world. So some of the research that we did in China, you really told us that people were looking to get together again. So many of the moments that we have as a brewer are about people connecting person to person in bars, in restaurants, at sports events, at music festivals. Those were the things that people were missing when they were on their Skype calls, their Zoom calls, their Microsoft Teams calls, whatever they were doing, that's what they were yearning for. And that's really what we've been trying to prepare for. How do we get those together moments? How do we prepare for that? And also, while folks are in the midst of the pandemic, how do we provide those get-together moments in a different way? How can we do things virtually? What else can we do to provide those real meaningful points of human connection that are critical to our brands? Yeah, and I know that's certainly true for me. I cannot wait to reconnect with uh, family, friends, and uh, colleagues, especially over a beer uh, at some point, hopefully soon. So how did we go about shifting our operations and really reassessing priorities to, to assist in our communities? You know, what we first looked at in LA and we said, look, we're not doctors, we're not scientists, we're not epidemiologists, but we do have skills that we think we can help where we can help. And one of the areas that we really leaned into early was what we called these ideas for good. And that was an internal name that we had about what projects can we do that bring our resources, that bring our abilities to help the communities where we live and where we operate. So for instance, one of the first ideas that came was we make non-alcohol beer. And oftentimes we take the alcohol out of that beer and we have the alcohol separate. And what do we do with that? Immediately, the ideas came for hand sanitizer. There were shortages. We had never made hand sanitizer before. We didn't have the packaging for hand sanitizer. We didn't know anything about hand sanitizer. But the teams, in an agile way, leaned into that and all of us started making millions of hand sanitizers all across the world, too. One of the things that we saw was when something worked, say, in Europe or in China or in Brazil or in Mexico, we could take that and replicate it. And it wasn't just about hand sanitizer, right? We also thought about what else can we do to help? We have marketers, we have relationships with sports properties, and it was critical to us to listen. And what we heard from a number of our partners like the Red Cross was that things like blood drives had dramatically reduced due to the lockdowns, in part because there weren't the spaces where you could socially distance and have blood drives. So we worked with our sports partners. We worked with Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, a number of our sports partners and said, can we use your arenas and your stadiums? And to their credit, they immediately stepped up, said, yes, that's a great idea. And we did all of these blood drives in these arenas, utilizing the assets that were dormant to make sure that we could impact the communities in a positive way. But it wasn't just our advertising. We also wanted to help where we could. We have a procurement team, we have project managers, we have basic business skills that we could apply in ways to help hospitals if they were going to expand and needed to add quickly 100 extra beds. We're not in the construction business, but we build breweries, we know how to manage products, and when we bring those resources to help, we were able in a number of countries to expand hospitals so there were more beds given the urgent crush that the hospitals were under. And that was something the teams really leaned into. And look, it was benefiting the communities, but I got to say, it was really energizing to the people and our colleagues all around the world because 
many of them, right, were not being able to go into the office and they were looking for ways about how they can contribute, how they can help. And these were just some of the ways that we could help. Yeah, the ideas for good team. Who doesn't want to be part of that team? That's fantastic work all around all of our different operations. So taking us from that immediate response, what does the path to recovery look like? You know, Lane, the path to recovery is all about how we see ourselves as part of the broader value chain that we're involved in. So we don't just see ourselves as brewing the beer and being concerned about this particular package of Budweiser. Man, we love Budweiser. We love the quality of the beer. We love all those things, but we love a lot more because what we do is we look at our industry holistically. We think about what we call the ability to get something from the farmer, right, to the consumer. We call it, you know, from seed to sip, right? So we looked at that whole community and said, Everyone's struggling, not just us, everyone's struggling. And how can we help that entire community? So how could we work with our farmers to make sure that we continue with them during this pandemic? How can we make sure that they had access to what they needed for their crops? They had access for us, right, to buy, even though demand was down, right? We also took a look at restaurants, pubs, waiters, bartenders, waitresses, folks whose businesses were literally shut down for months, months, many of whom continue to be shut down. What could we do for them? The team started to think about how do we engage our consumers who love the brands, but also love those points of connections when they go to a bar and they meet their friends or they meet their family member and they have real conversations that they've been missing. What can they do today during the lockdown to help? So the team came up with this idea that we would go in and we would say, look, consumers, buy a beer now and we'll donate an extra one to make sure we got the money to the publicans now, to the bar owners. So they had it today. They had it when they were shut down. And when they opened up, then the folks would get two beers when they came, right? It was really something that was well-received because it was really a community effort. The consumers wanted to help as well. And we were providing the means and the access to help bring those folks together. Yeah, really does sound like a a lot of building back better. Uh, So what's more of building back better for people and planet? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're thinking about, we have 6 million points of connection around the world. By points of connection, we're talking about bars, retail accounts, and so many of them are mom and pop shops. They're folks who have very small stores. Many of them are female entrepreneurs who might have their garage turned into a bar in an area around the world. They're very small shops. So we're working with them, right, to say, how can we make sure that they come out of this in a better spot? How can we make sure that they're thriving businesses as they come out? But to do that, we needed to make sure that they survive the pandemic. And some of these are going on right now and continue. So we've been working particularly in Central and South America on something we call Tienda Cercas, which is we have the ability to provide e-commerce, which really accelerated during the pandemic. With the lockdowns, all of a sudden e-commerce became you know, a critical, critical link for folks to get what they needed. You couldn't go to the store. You didn't want to go to the store. You cut your trips to the store. How can we bring the store to you? Rather than going to the bar, How can we get the bar to you? How can we get the small mom and pop shop owner who might sell you a six pack right on your way home from work? And how can we make sure since you're not going into the office, how can we get that beer to you? These were folks that, you know, really are part of the community. They have regular customers, but they didn't have access to the e-commerce tools that so many of the bigger shops had. 
So what we did was we stepped in and we provided that e-commerce access. We set up the apps. We set up sites electronically for consumers to find their favorite shop, to find their corner shop so they could order and have their products delivered. And it was something that was well-received and really an acceleration of a trend that was coming. And the ability to provide that to folks now so they have that going forward is a very important part of some of the learnings come out of this pandemic, the acceleration of trends that were happening. And it was really fortunate for us to be able to provide those tools to so many of the small mom and pop owners around the world so they can still have business during the lockdowns. Yeah, that digital transformation really has really picked up and and really helped the businesses at a very desperate time, but will really help their businesses in the long run. That's really fantastic to hear. In terms of for our listeners, maybe is there a leadership tip that you could share that's really helped you to navigate during this time? Yeah, the one thing that really comes to top of mind for me is just this ability to be agile, right? You were faced with problems that we have never been faced before and the ability to move quickly and the ability to work with your team in a way that was different. The ability to work with folks to take problems and say, we're going to get this solved quickly. So we could take normally, let's say, hand sanitizers. We've never done it. That could be a long project. Man, we didn't have the time, right? We needed to do that quickly. And the ability for the team to come together from different functions and work as one was something that was probably the biggest lessons here. Move quickly, move smartly, and move together, right? Always listening to what is it that the community needs. So when we heard that hospitals and first responders needed more hand sanitizers, that's where we jumped to and tried to make sure that was a top priority for us. And that mindset is something that I think will continue as we come out of the pandemic. And it's one of the learnings that operating like that was very effective. It was also very energizing to the teams themselves. It was something where they really, really found that when they moved quickly like that and they moved in smaller teams, it was very, very effective. Fantastic, John. It's always pick up something new and learn something every time we we chat. May I also ask, because you have shared in earlier conversations, one of your ideas around the label maker, are you able to share that with us? Oh, yeah. This is something that I always try to work with the team on, that when we're dealing with issues at the company, topics at the company, challenges at the company, and opportunities, right? When they come into the company, no one sits at the front door and takes a label maker and types out a name and says, oh, This is for the corporate affairs department. Let me label this and it goes to corporate affairs. This topic is for the finance department. Let me label that and that's just finance to work on. Our challenges, our opportunities, they don't come in labeled. So what we need to do is address them as teams. We need to address them with all the insight from the full organization. And that means we need to organize ourselves so when those challenges and those opportunities come in, we address them as they are, holistically drawing from the best of each of the functions that we have so we can get the best solution, as opposed to trying to wedge it into a particular department, trying to wedge it into an organizational structure. Let's deal with the challenges, the opportunities, the topics, the problems as they are so we can get the best solution. We call it a community of practice because it's very much driven by a community. It's driven by the individuals and the colleagues working together to solve that together. So for us, that community of practice is something that really, really drives how we deal with the challenges and opportunities that we face. 
John, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, I look forward to you joining us again, hopefully soon. My pleasure, Elaine. Thank you. Joining me now is Tim Avedia, our Vice President for the global brand Stella Artois. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you? Great, great. So glad that you could join us. So we've just heard from John Blood talking about the support that we've had across our supply chain. Can you tell us a little bit more about Rally for Restaurants? You know, what was the motivation behind it and what exactly is it? Yeah, when the pandemic hit, one of the industries that suffered the most was clearly the hospitality and restaurant trade. And I think we're all kind of well aware yeah. of that. And I think, you know, apart from at a very kind of human level, caring about the impact to the families and the, their livelihoods impacted by what happened to the a restaurant's ability to trade, I think at ABI, it was important for us for two reasons. The first is that a lot of these restaurants were our customers. They were our partners in business, right? And yeah. uh, I think it's a very ABI thing to do is that although we are tough negotiators, when the chips are down, I think we really do like rolling up our sleeves and helping our customers. And this was a great opportunity to do that. And this isn't just our current customers that we wanted to help, but also, you know, potential future customers, because we realized that beer in particular in the, in the meal occasion, we, we under index mm-hmm. and restaurants are a future growth opportunity for us. So we wanted to help our existing customers, but we also wanted to show potential future customers what we were made of and what type of partner we were. That was the first motivation. And then I think switching to a consumer lens and thinking about why restaurants are important to the Stella Artois brand. Well, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you don't just go there to eat a meal, right? Yeah. Restaurants are places where we go to create memories with our families and our friends and our loved ones. And that's really at the heart of what the Life Artois is on Stella Artois. We're about you know, inviting people to savor life with the people that matter most. And restaurants really embody that spirit. So we thought that was an important and perfect thing to do in terms of a, uh, it's kind of like our spiritual home. So for both of those two reasons, the motivation was clear. And then we just had to work out what we were going to do. And I think that's an interesting story in its own right. Pedro put the call out through our ideas for good process And this idea really started out of our amazing team in Brazil. And they came up with the idea of, you know, in the short term, one of the biggest issues that these restaurants faced was cash flow, right? Their cash flow dried up. So they came up with the idea of what if we joined forces with consumers and actually offered to bring forward future cash flow by selling vouchers, vouchers that could be used and redeemed in the future. Yeah. If you pay $50 now as a consumer, We'll match that $50. And when we get through the worst of COVID, you can go back with $100 to that restaurant. And that caught fire, right? Amazing. Uh, you know, like if you think about it, like, and you think about your local restaurants, I think we hit an emotional core with consumers and they wanted to help. And we gave them a way to help through this program. And then you know what is great about this in the best of global local partnership. We took this idea from Brazil and then we scaled it to 21 other countries in wow. about four weeks, right? 
21. 21 countries in four weeks. We've impacted 24,000 restaurants and raised over $7 million for the industry, right? And so that's pretty amazing in a four-week period. Started from Brazil, you know, Mari and her amazing team down there partnered with Ben Powker and the global team who basically looked and helped facilitate Take That Global. And then everyone jumped on board and it rolled. And we did what we do best at ABI is we take action and we scale things and we have impact. And that's what happened. That's amazing impact, something that we can all really be proud of. So as we look towards the recovery, what are the key lessons that you and your team have learned? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one, it's a great reinforcer, right? We talk about our culture, but it really does reinforce how powerful this organization can be when we align behind a common goal and a common cause and then we execute at scale. Number one, I think number two, just the power of the global local relationships when we get that to work, you know. I talk to my team, you know, our, our job as, yes, we do create kind of assets and campaigns, but our job is as much to go and find the best ideas from around the world, pick those up, help greenhouse them, and then grow them in other markets. So I think that's the kind of key lesson. But, you know, I think one thing I do want to say is Rally for Restaurants isn't the end of our support for the industry. It's actually just the start, right? And a couple of things that are happening that are worth mentioning. Firstly, Brazil, obviously, our friends in Brazil, our colleagues in Brazil, I mean, COVID is still really seriously impacting their community. Absolutely. And so they've brought back Rally for Restaurants 2.0. They're running it again as we speak, which I think is enormous. And again, they've brought on board some partners. Nescafe are helping us. uh, Nespresso are helping us with that program, which is great. And then as we roll out of COVID towards euphoria and our markets open up again, We've actually got a big follow-up campaign called Your Table is Ready. And really what that recognises is that that's about reminding consumers how amazing going to a restaurant is with their friends and encouraging them to get back and support their local restaurants once they can do that. And we're actually offering people their first uh, stellar Oratoire and a Chalice on us when they go back to their restaurants. But more than anything else, it's a big awareness campaign just as we can to start getting back and reigniting that romance with our local restaurants again. That's great to hear. We already have a 2.0 and and we've got so much follow-up in multiple markets. But finally, I have to ask, you're the global VP of Stella Artois. You have to tell me, what is your perfect scenario for enjoying a beautiful, cold, refreshing Stella Artois? You know what? I could overthink this answer, but the truth is right now, I think any place, any restaurant that you can get great food, with great friends, enjoy a, a chalice of Stella Artois and hopefully in the not too distant future, not have to wear a mask. I think that sounds like the ideal location for me in the life Artois. Oh my goodness. Well, certainly for me, I cannot wait to get back to some of my favorite restaurants as well. And, you know, thank you to you and the team all around, all around the global Stella Artois family for making this happen and really supporting our communities and those restaurants when they need it most. Thanks, Tim. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 
very pleased to be able to introduce you to Kirsten Stewart, media executive, author, and lead of the future of media, entertainment, and sport at the World Economic Forum. Kirsten, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Elaine. Great to be here. So Kirsten, tell us more about the World Economic Forum. What exactly is it and what does it do? Sure. So I think people know the forum from Davos. It's that big meeting that happens once a year where we bring heads of state and policymakers and heads of business together to look at the future of different industries. And we divide up the world into different economies, whether it's oil and gas or banking and finance. And I work specifically with the media, entertainment and sports sector. So companies like publishers, like New York Times or Washington Post or platforms like Facebook, Google, Tencent, ByteDance, we work together to see how can we, with all of what we understand and know about our current state, look to the future and build it out better for our audiences. So tell us, what does the future look like in these sectors, especially as some countries look towards a strong recovery? It's uh, been a challenging time this past year. You know, it's been crazy. I think we've all had the experience of being at home and needing access to content, you know, whether that's entertainment or news information, wanting the distraction of sport uh, in a time when we are all kind of in lockdown. And yet with this increased demand, there's never been so many challenges also to try and get this stuff made. So, you know, we've been in a really interesting position this past year, and I think it's created a lot of pent up demand. I think we're going to see a nice resurgence. And I think we've seen a lot of innovation over the past year in order to fulfill that demand. And I think we've seen some really interesting new forms of content, and I think it's going to be great. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit more then about what you've seen during the pandemic within these sectors and how they've actually really had to pivot at this time. Well, I think, you know, starting off with sport, first of all, you know, that was the sector most directly affected immediately since there were no opportunities to have live events. That meant a lot of the tournaments and games and being anyone expected had to be canceled for anything yeah. in person. And that meant there was nothing to cover for you know, if you're broadcasting it. And then you know, when the broadcast started to come back on, you, know, you had the challenge of no in-person ambiance, no feel. There yeah. was even a sense for the at-home audience that it was a bit dull without an in-person audience there. Even though they weren't there in the stadium, you kind of would feel that energy if they were there. So there were, you know, some interesting innovations that happened. I think the NBA was one example of a league that was able to step up and figure out how to create that feel and that connection with an audience at home when there was no one there in the stands. Think about, you know, even what you guys did at the Super Bowl and what do you do with a big, big event like that and how you redirected your investment to something, you know, in a time, because the question is how vital is sport when we're actually trying to get everyone back healthy? And you made an interesting investment yourself, which was really pivotal in kind of indicating how important the support for the vaccine and recovery was. So it's it was an interesting few months. Yeah, that was great. We were able to pivot that over to really help the work of the Ad Council. So the World Economic Forum is really committed to improve the state of the world. How is the forum helping during this time? You know, I think it's interesting. Everyone has this need to still get together, even if we can't do it in person at events that we would normally hold around the world. You know, we've all been able to do it virtually as we're doing right now today. And, you know, it's interesting to kind of cross geographies, cross sectors, you know, between entertainment, news and sports. You think that there are quite, you know, different priorities for each of those. And there are. 
but there's a lot of great learnings on how to deal with a distributed workforce that's now at home, that's normally in an office working together, how to deal again with connecting to audience and community, what do you do to get the good information that's needed out in a time of a pandemic? You know, those are kind of shared concerns and priorities for any of those sectors and the ability to get together through the forum and exchange those ideas to build on each other's you know, best practices, I think has been a really good, I've been able to just get a front seat to it this past year. And I've been really impressed with how that ability to collaborate and to learn from each other has been so effective in helping people get back together and get, get up and going. Yeah, I even needed even more so now. So then Mm -hmm. what are some of the best in class disruptions that you've seen from partners over the last year as you've been having some of those discussions? Well, I think like we said, like I said off the top, the the one that I found most impressive was, or one of the most impressive was around the NBA and what they were able to do in sport. And you've seen a number of other sport uh, leagues and teams kind of step up and figure out the space in order to entertain and engage people at home with distractions and things that you need during a time of pandemic and lockdown. You need a little bit of escape. Uh, yeah. And I think that sport provided that. I think the innovations around streaming, how folks have been able to access content whenever, however, in whatever format they want, have been exponential through the pandemic. People have really figured out how to get on board and be able to get, reach people at home where they are. And then some of the really interesting innovations around how you work from home, you are a newsroom who are used to getting together in person and collaborate. So how do you do that in a distributed environment with equipment that's not the same that you're used to working with? So seeing some of those innovations on how you work, how you get all that content to air. Yeah. Interest, interesting content like entertainment, but vital information like how to deal with a pandemic and what's going on in your local neighborhood. You know, those things were all done through the pandemic. Yeah. And then tell me, what changes do you think are likely to stay and stick with us versus maybe being some of this more temporary fads? I think we, you know, we've seen some reports lately, Nielsen and Epsos have done some interesting work to ask people, where do you think your habits have changed? You know, we all sat home for a long time. I think there is pent up demand to get out and get into stands and get into you know live events again. But I think also people have been watching video more than ever before and that doesn't feel like that's going to go away. I think there's going to be a lot of engagement through video and taped entertainment, but there's also this idea of streaming and getting access to content from around the world. Like we're watching shows on Netflix that we would have never had access to and and had the time to watch, but we're suddenly engaged in shows like Lupin uh, from France or drama series from India. It's, you know, we're quite global now. And I think those are the trends we'll see moving forward. Yeah. Now, I have to ask, now that we're starting to move in some countries, certainly in the countries that we are currently in, are moving a little bit further out of lockdown. And maybe as you mm-hmm. look ahead, what is the sporting, cultural or music event that you're most excited to get back to? Well, I had the real pleasure of being at Wimbledon the year before lockdown. And I know I love being at live sport events like that. So whether it's my, you know, I'm a big basketball fan. I've got Raptors tickets. I haven't been able to use for over a year. Watching some tennis, I think sport, you know, whatever is going to be first up and first available whenever we get out of this situation, I'm headed there for sure. (laughs) I know there's a lot, lots of us that are very excited to do the same. Then a very final question from me what have you learned in the pandemic do you have any leadership tips you could leave with us I think I've learned how resilient people are and how quickly we're able to pivot 
you know, we have immense talents, I think, that we didn't maybe appreciate as much as we have through the pandemic now that we've learned about how we can kind of suddenly be told to go home and work as you ever did and try to find new ways to do that. It's been amazing to see how companies have not had a slip in their productivity. In fact, some have found increased efficiencies. And, you know, I think the resilience of people and their ability to translate skills into whatever kind of format they need to has been really impressive. I'm really, I'm very much optimistic about the future of work when you consider how we all pivoted on a dime and uh, were able to pull off what we all did in the last year. Yeah, it is. It's amazing, actually, to see the increased productivity and even the increased engagement. Uh, that's actually one of the things that we've seen as well, even on our side. Uh, Kirsten, it's been great. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for joining us on the show. And I am excited to the time that we can meet again, whether that absolutely. be Davos or hopefully beforehand and have a beer. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait for it. Thanks, Elaine. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Talking on Tap, a podcast series from ABMBAV. I'm your host, Elaine McCrimmon, and we've been talking to John Blood, our Chief Legal and Corporate Affairs Officer, Tim Ovedia, our Global Vice President of Stella Artois, and Kirsten Stewart, the Global Head of the Future of Media, Entertainment and Sport at the World Economic Forum. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you've enjoyed this series, then please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you think others will enjoy it too, please share with your family, friends, and colleagues. Thanks for joining us. We are AB Imbav. This is Margot Miller from the AB Imbav legal team. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by AB InBev solely for informational purposes and is general in nature. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not officers, employees, or agents of AB InBev, are not necessarily those of AB InBev and may not be current. AB InBev does not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the content contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, is expressly disclaimed. Certain of the statements may have been forward-looking in nature and based on the current expectations and views of future events and developments of the speakers and are naturally subject to uncertainty and changes in circumstances. AB InBev does not undertake any obligation to provide any form of update, amendment, change, or correction to any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions set forth in this podcast.